Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's talking about time for Mortgage Matters. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. I'm trying to sound not sleepy. I feel sleepy this morning. <laughs> it's 1212. Ah, the day. Yeah. It's 905. <laughs> what are you talking yeah, like, about? You really are sleepy. <laughs> Yeah, wow. that's it, fun. Yeah, cool. Twelve, twelve. Hmm. Can't believe it's already like you know near the middle of December. Oh, isn't that crazy? The holiday stuff is going on. Jeez. I wanted to go to the Cambria Christmas Market tonight. I've heard that's really cool. If you haven't been there, so I've... they're charging ten bucks a head for people over five. Wow. That makes that a fifty dollar. After I get to Cambria and, yeah. <laughs> you know, ward off the begging for hot chocolate thing that's going to occur and all that, it's it's 50 yeah. bucks to walk through under the lights. And so. there's, not, there's no McDonald's there, so it's not like you can do dollar menu for dinner to save money there, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. instead, I think I go to Vine Street. <laughs> Actually, that's cool, too, though. It is cool. They're both cool. Yeah. I heard they did add a bunch to the Cambria Marketplace lights, yeah. but I don't know. That seems high. Is that high? Uh, what know. what is it? Ten bucks a head. What's the marketplace? I, I, I mean, heard the Cambria Pines Lodge. It's Cambria Pines Lodge. I it's think it's cool. Right? They put up a lot of yeah, Christmas lights. They put a lot up. You like, like walk through a lot. tunnel of lights. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that was a paid thing. I don't recall paying in the past, so I was really excited to go oh, this year. And then, yeah. and I guess it's different on weeknights. It's like three bucks, and then on Friday night it goes to five bucks, and then Saturday night, the big draw night, it's ten hmm. bucks. So I don't know. Maybe you should save it up for a weeknight then. I'm just gonna save up for a Saturday. That's my <laughs> new goal. I'm gonna. <laughs> That'll be the the reason for going to work next week. I'm gonna save up. <laughs> yeah, no, maybe I'll go on a Wednesday when it's like three bucks. Someone might be calling in, but probably just upset to help clarify what's going on. How was the Atascadero um, Winter Wonderland last night? That was so busy. Was it? Yeah, it was really busy. There were so many vendors, and uh, they Uh, put up these. um, They were narrow, but like half pipe, huge ramps. Where I saw scooter kids. I didn't go walk around the whole thing because we stayed over at the office, you know, doling out hot chocolates and seeing people. And we loaned the bathroom out quite a bit. Oh, lovely. Yeah. According to the caller that we just had, the Coastal Commission is trying to get involved with it and is making people pay to go to the show. Oh, that's what, what it is? Isn't that fantastic? More government some just the, exacting some of the pictures fees right out of us. Why does the... Why does the Coastal Commission care if people pay or not to see I, Christmas lights? That, I don't know. Well, because you drive your car to Cambria, well, Because dude. you got to, yeah, I don't know. Don't Are people drive their Cambria me? for a variety of other reasons as well? 
Like to maybe see the elephant seals or shop or live or <laughs> go to Hearst Castle. <laughs> yeah, how many yeah, people I mean, a year go to Hearst Castle? They might Castle. as well. They, if they're going to do that, they might as well charge for this, you know, Scarecrow Festival. Oh, we should just over. make it all toll roads, and we'll just collect fees yeah. for everywhere we go. But I'm looking at some. We're looking at some of the pictures right now, and they're hmm. really, really, yeah, it is. It's a neat, really cool neat thing. Cambria also does a hospitality night, I believe, every um, Christmas holiday season. Oh. Holiday season, excuse me. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, I didn't at, sleep a lot last you're night. The so an, you're me. the anti-Trump, still caring about political correctness. I don't know what I'm thinking today. I slept for <laughs> don't like. Don't say Christmas. I slept for three hours last night. You know, buddy, if you want to say Christmas, you can say Christmas. All right. You know. Thanks. And if if not, if you want to say holiday, say holiday. We could even call it snow season if you want. You know, I don't know. My I'm, wife's boss um, oh, yeah. celebrates Hanukkah, and this is the first year in the last three that I didn't um, wish him a Merry Christmas. Okay. <laughs> you finally caught Usually on? Usually I'm just on autopilot. <laughs> yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning about this stuff. Oh, you guys had a Christmas party, a holiday party last night. Yeah, and that's not the reason I'm tired. It's because I don't feel good. I'm just, oh. yeah, Co cold? coughing and such Look, kept me up last night. I felt I felt <clears throat> yeah. today that my um, throat was scratchy, and I thought I probably did that. I Sorry. probably shared with you guys because I was sick with it last week. So. Dude, you got to give us a warning. Yeah. Sorry. I knew he was sick. Uh, Would man. you not have come to the show last week? Mm, I don't think I have room. that. I don't. That <laughs> yeah. wasn't an option. But this I could have. This is a pretty small room. It's like an incubator. <laughs> show must go yeah. on. Show must go on. It's a Hollywood term. Uh, well, that's yeah. too bad. I did have a pretty good round of bowling. Did you? Sandwiched in between two terrible rounds of bowling. What was your high round? It wasn't as good as last year. I I rolled a 146, I think. That's respectable for a guy that bowls once a year. Yeah, I think That's so. Fine. I'm proud of it. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, my wife can't roll a 146. <laughs> I proved that I can't do it consistently because the other ones, I, I don't think I broke 100. My wife's fun to bowl with, with like guys that are always cocky. Because, you know, as soon as you haven't bowled in a year, let's go bowl. You want to bet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to beat you. <laughs> I'm better at rolling this thing in that direction. But my wife basically just bowls over 100 like every single time. Just over 101, 102. Hmm. And uh, that's good enough to beat a lot of cocky men. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Yeah, it doesn't. Without the bumpers, by the way. It doesn't seem like much of a sport until you get there. And then you're like, wow, people can actually get 300s? I don't. It's impressive. Yeah. It's, do too. My grandma bowled a 300. That's almost impossible, though. I mean, how do you. It happens quite often. Really? I it, mean, for people who I mean, do you, this regularly. If you think it, it about it, it's one of the yeah. few sports where, like, a lot of people have achieved the perfect thing. <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, think about baseball. There's a hundred and, what is it, 163 games or something? 162 games a year, and we've been playing it for over 120 years or and so. And perfect games are still like... There are like 25 of them. Very few. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's probably 25 perfect games bowled last night. Oh, yeah. Like across the country? <laughs> In the world. Sure. Yeah, something. yeah I believe it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just don't quite impressive. Can do, I can. I barely can get up to like 150, you know, bowling. So oh, look at you. 
Barely. Look barely. at you, just barely getting better than what I was saying was one of my best scores ever. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's cool, Jim. How many times did you ball, though? You got just, me sick, and now you're just oh, making okay, fun I'll of me. Just, I get it. Get hey, why don't I just walk away, and you could... <laughs> oh, boy. I didn't mean that. Oh, man. All right. All right, I was talking about something serious now. I feel like lately the first 15 minutes of the show is just nonsense. That's all right. Hey, it was my son's birthday yesterday. He turned three. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Alden. Happy birthday. Yeah. Did he have a full grasp of it being his birthday? Yeah. Yeah? Did you make him uh, a cake and let him eat it all by himself with his hands? Unfortunately, um, with yesterday, today is the day we're celebrating. Right. Now, yeah. with the Christmas party and the, the working and things, it wasn't, it wasn't a very festive day. It didn't. It wasn't that. My two are older, but I think you have to, maybe I've forgotten Jason, but does he have like um like one more year of the box just being just as cool as the present? <laughs> um, I think we're in the presents. <laughs> the innards of the box are pretty significant. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong, a box is still pretty cool, but um yeah. but yeah, we're the, definitely yeah. into toys. Into the toys now. Yeah. Three's the one though on your yeah. birthday he'll still open your present. <laughs> For you. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, we've we've had a battle with the the few presents that are under the Christmas tree. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really had to work hard to stop them from being opened. That's what yeah. you get for having those under there already. Yeah. yeah. I haven't done that yet. I'm going to uh-huh. I'm going to be doing that soon. Well, um you know, this has been a very busy December. Yeah. And um, I was uh, I got invited to the Patterson Christmas party this year, and uh, I was actually the only lender that was there, which was kind of an honor. But I was talking around that room; everybody there was talking about how busy they were. Hmm. And you know, it, people in this industry know better than to complain, you know, because there's plenty of times where you're not busy and really wish you were. It's just unfortunate that it's a constant, um, it's one or the other. It's rare rare do you ever have somebody in real estate or lending that's just like, I'm comfortable. Moderately busy and (laughs) enjoying the pace. It's like, I'm looking for business or I'm scrambling to get through what's on my plate. Yeah. But everybody said it's like been one of the busiest Decembers on record and um, really looking forward to the next year. And I'm, I'm pretty... I'm pretty content with how December's been. I too think it's very busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In addition to you know higher than normal seasonal volume, we've got lots of changes in the industry that have thrown everyone for a loop. Yeah, so, yeah. That, it's definitely that. Certainly has been. I think a, that ha- makes it feel busier too. It does. Yeah. Um, just making it easier for the consumer. So totally. all this new. <laughs> just this morning, you know, as I was preparing the show notes, I'd read through a couple commentaries and blogs that I follow, and all of them said, "Remind me again how any of these new things are benefiting the consumer." And What's I, the my the acronym for one of our favorite escrow agents that's up in her office for the new TRID? TRID, the <laughs> reason I drink. <laughs> it's so true. But, you know, I, I mean, honestly, though, with TRID, which is the it's a new integrated disclosures act where they're 
essentially condensing some forms, four forms into one or two, really, two. I guess. Yeah. Because, but they're remarkably similar. One's at the beginning of the loan process and one's at the begin at the very end of the loan process. And then really the idea is they call it the no before you owe rule, right? The idea is really that nobody's going to be able to say, I got a loan and didn't understand what I was doing. The only way you're going to be able to do that is if somebody stole your identity and got a loan for you on your property that you didn't know about. I mean, in I suppose there's some possibility of that happening, but otherwise there's no possible way you could look at these forms and not understand what's going on. So uh, I, I'd say they're effective in that in that regard. It's nice that it's very clear, very concise. Um, and I'd say that the biggest change has been, um, first of all, a very clear intent to proceed. So you meet with us, you talk with us, we do some paperwork together, and then you're gonna like, triply confirm that you really do want to do this today and then we begin and it's not uh any sort of a handcuff to the transaction but you're you've just said i i, I agree based on everything we've discussed let's do this um, and then at the very end you get final terms and the form says compare these to your beginning terms make sure you understand what changed and why if anything did um, and then you have three days with that form to review it before you're allowed to sign a, a promissory note. So that's good. I like that. It's kind of like um, when people refinance their home for the first time, they're always a little bit surprised to find out that you got to sign and then you got to wait. Like there's a cooling off period, I think is just most clearly what it is. You, you definitely saw the closing documents. You definitely had an opportunity to be made aware of any terms if anything was misleading, confusing, or unclear. And now you've got this three-day period where you've got your copy package at home to seek answers and just that final gut check of, do I really want to do this before I pull the trigger? That's been a part of the California refinance loan as long as I've been in the business. I don't even know what year that's been instituted. Um, and it probably started over some lawsuits. Somebody said, I didn't know that's what was happening to me then, else I wouldn't have done it. So the government said, you know what, fine, you get three days. It makes sense. And so this new rule puts that three days in every transaction, <clears throat> even if you're buying, that you would really know before you owe. And I, I think it's really smart. The problem is, is that it's so confusing and the paperwork isn't very clear in terms of the time frames and you know, if you can revise it and if you got to wait again and what version it's on, it, it doesn't even require that the form be signed, which I think is amazing. And one of the most confusing things right now is there's multiple versions of the closing disclosure and sometimes several in one day where corrections are required based on escrow or underwriting or what have you. Uh, but because there's not a time stamp on it, the investors are having trouble determining uh, what order they were in because there's not a signature with like a time and date. So it's been a little bit sloppy getting them through, but I don't know. A well-intended law that once again is like overcomplicated and causing unintended problems, which is a longer, more expensive process to the consumer. Yeah, but I, I, I agree that the three days 
inserted into every transaction makes sense. Let, let's be real here. People go to escrow to sign their loan documents at the conclusion of a loan transaction. And it's rare when a borrower sits there and reads every word on every page. Oh, what, sure. what generally happens is you kind of get the cliff notes version or, you know, just the abbreviated version of what each form is intending on telling you. Right. And you take the, the notary um, person's word for what they're saying and you sign it. Well, and you and get most through of the time that. they just just hand them to you rapidly or, or they won't even go through any type of explanation and they just hand them to you and you sign it. Right. But what they do, they give you a copy package of what you signed. So it's nice that they give you that, that, that you have that three days to then take that home and actually digest it a little bit, you know, really get into it, understand it. If you care to do that. I mean, there are still some people who probably don't ever even look at it. But still, at least for those who want to know, they have that opportunity. You know what the funny thing is, is though, of, of all of the documents that are signed at closing, so many of them are about like anti-discrimination and equal housing and equal credit and all these things. And it's like, you know what? Not only could that be one form, but as part of the closing package, if you made it down to the closing package, odds are you weren't discriminated against and, and or... <clears throat> denied the equal opportunity to credit or the fair and accurate credit reporting all these things it's like you know what yeah it doesn't even apply to that person. why is it that we're shoving it's almost like a distractionary tactic where you include so many forms that are perfectly irrelevant because you like i said it distracts you from the ones for that example are you're all gonna, about the numbers yeah <laughs> you're gonna sign the right to receive appraisal you transactions being consummated you know whether or not you got an appraisal already at that point and you know it's your right it yeah. says so on five different forms. This could be whittled down to where that process is so much less convoluted and less confusing. But also, I think if it was simplified, it would be uh, less time consuming because you could spend the time and understand the few very necessary documents. Right? The ones with the numbers, the ones with the terms. The ones that um, obligate you to things. There's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I would argue that it's like the deed of trust, the note, the closing disclosure. Yeah, really, that's about it. Here, sign your final application. It's a lot like the application you signed at the beginning, but this is the final one. So you're having me finally apply on the day that I sign the note? Why am I finally applying when it's perfectly approved? I could even get on, but throw the application in there. Let's get rid of all the other junk. There's so I mean, many, though. I how wish. Many, how many loan officers or real estate agents do you know that when a client comes to them, regardless of race, age, sex, um, religion, you know, any of these things turn someone away? No, they fail to realize <laughs> that we, first of all, <laughs> Precedent has very well been said. If you were some sort of a fascist or something and didn't want to, I don't do loans for X population, whatever crazy thing you can come up with. If you were that kind of person, um, I'm, I don't, you couldn't even get licensed. I mean, they ask you all the questions. You're going to fail all of the tests because you think it's okay to, you know, redline a neighborhood or, or, not lend to some ethnicity or something, but more than that, nobody you work for, the people you work with, I just can't possibly see how anybody could get away with this for any period of time at all. Um, 
not to mention if you remove all of that that and this is especially true for the unscrupulous people like those bigot racist people that we're kind of worried about they would likely do anything for a commission they have no values they have no ethics they don't care so even if you wanted to deny the person party or people that you hate alone approving it has a direct uh, financial incentive benefit for you where you could walk away with thousands of dollars of commission i would see people putting their hate aside <laughs> for the money so i i mean yeah I, I realize we've come a long way and i certainly don't mean to sound insensitive about it my broader point is it seems like it's a little bit of overkill that there are so many forms about that stuff because look, when when I'm doing a, a disclosure signing or a closing doc signing with somebody, um, I really make two stacks. Here's my boilerplate CYA stuff that has nothing specific about you, regardless of whether or not these forms have any importance or significance, legality. They're boilerplate things, and it's that stuff. You know, your equal opportunity, all these things that yeah, they're. It's, I guess, important that you know this, but they're not affecting the terms of your loan. And then this stack over here, this is it. This is the, this is your house. This is your application, your income, your assets, all your financial position. This is the note you're going to sign, you know, all that stuff. So you can, if you're going to rip through any of it, let's burn through this pile of boilerplate CYA stuff that doesn't have anything pertinent to you. And then let's spend our time going slow and understanding the ones that are just about you and your transaction, the terms of your loan. Uh, and I just, I hope at some point that we end up in this industry seeing the significance of simplifying all of the paperwork and getting rid of the paperwork that um, is just, it, it doesn't, doesn't add a lot of value. Maybe in the beginning of the loan transaction, like those initial disclosures, that's probably a good place to put some stuff in there about Equal Credit Opportunity Act and those kind of things where folks can understand that, hey, it, you you will not be discriminated against because it's illegal. And if you fear you are, here's who you need to call. That way, if the transaction goes awry because of mistreatment or something that happens that just seems you know, despair it, then you know what the remedy is, but, but to get all of that again, confuse all of that at the end. Yeah. So now you're, they're seeing it for a second time at yeah. the conclusion, like w when you said yeah. they've clearly not been discriminated against mm -hmm. because they're getting the loan. Oh uh, yeah. Anyway, it could be simpler. Maybe someday it'll be simpler. So the process, <laughs> you know, as, as we started was talking about the new trid stuff and how it's better for the consumer. I mean, we got rid of two, four forms and got two. The forms are a bit longer and they contain a lot more information. They are better. They are more clear. Oh, sure. They do explain things better. The forms that they consolidated and replaced, I, that's better. But I, I agree. agree. There's so much more room for improvement. Um, a, a decade ago, when we were first in this business, the good faith estimate was the one page form that's today the fee worksheet. Still my favorite form. So clear. It's one page. It itemizes every fee you're going to pay and it tells you who's receiving it. And ironically, how much it is and what it's for. in all of the origination software we use, that's still the one where we put all of the loan terms into. And these new forms draw data from other old forms that have been, you know, 
determined to be no good. There's mostly on the new forms. There's really no editable fields. It draws from all the forms that were, um, you know, outdated or not clear enough. But we came to the realization this week that change is just part of the job. When when you're a loan officer, change is is the name of the game for what. 13 years or however long we've been in this business it's never been it's a it's constant. never been status quo it's never that's like <laughs> and and honestly i gotta i guess just because of what i do for a living i gotta tie real estate in with it when you all start saying things like normal <laughs> and normal market and back to normal uh i'm like i don't i haven't seen that yet i mean we started right after 9 11 that was tumultuous time. Rates were dropping. Credit programs were expanding. Things were wild. The market was overheated and everyone knew it. Then it popped in our face and we did everything we could to get rid of all the weird crummy stuff, hold rates down and expand some of the safer programs, try to ride the thing out. And now here we are again. I suppose we rode it out, but... Um, it was kind of a bloodbath. And now we're like staring down the barrel of... Next week, the feds are going to decide whether or not to raise rates. There's kind of a, uh, the majority of folks believe they are going to raise rates. And we'll just keep on this crazy train. And the funny thing is, is yeah, there, where there's never, not only is there never a dull moment, there's also never a moment that was like the last moment. We'll take some new governing agencies, some new licensure, some new regulations, some new forms, Scrap the old ones, you know, just it's, it's such a constant state of flux. It's pretty wild. Um, I and yeah, that Fed media meeting next week's going to be a, a big one. Um, so we'll obviously we'll have some time to talk about that after it happens. And yeah, this is the last show. So you're going to have to make your prediction today. No, it's, next show is the last show. No, no. I mean, before the the Fed rate decision. Oh, because they're deciding on the the 16th is the end of the two day meeting. Next Saturday is going to be the 19th. Yes. So today I'll have to know before we leave. So start thinking about it now. Okay. If rates are going up or not. All right. No pressure or anything like that. <laughs> like I haven't been thinking about it for the last all day, every day, <laughs> like two years. Hey, we got we got to take some time out here to do a commercial break. So stick around, listen to these messages, and uh, we'll be back with more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. The state of denial is a drag and a trial when i bought my cheap insurance should have known this day would come now i've had an accident and i'm feeling quite alone called them at least 20 times but they won't pick up the phone without personal service my policy's kind of worthless get to a better state state farm switch to state farm and you can save to find out more in san luis obispo call agent susan rodriguez for those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. 
Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Give yourself the best possible chance to buy your dream home with our 21-day close. We get you fully pre-approved before you find your house so you can write a shorter, easier offer and beat out the competition. It's time for you to be the offer that gets accepted. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. While the merry bells keep ringing. Happy holiday to you. All righty, guys, welcome back. It's the holiday season. Before the break, we we're. Do you want to? Should we up. pause while you all sing or something? Let's just keep Andy rolling, and you can accompany him. <laughs> Don't you like Christmas music? Kind of gets yeah. you in the mood, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do like it actually. And this, I gotta say, this is my favorite version of Happy Holidays. It's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> you gonna sing, Dad? No, I'm not going to. <laughs> Save it for when I'm back at home. I saw this week. I'll have to look it up and find it, but I think today, I think it's today. One of the local movie theaters is playing Miracle on 34th Street for a like canned food or toy drive. Oh, that'd be cool. I'll see if I can find it. That'd be way fun. I yeah, I think it's today. Okay. You know where I saw it though was on the Sunset Drive-ins Facebook page, but they were like huh. suggesting that it was another theater. We'll have okay. to figure it out. But that'd yeah, be pretty I'll, fun. I'll see if I can find it. I'll see if I can find it. And that's pretty cool to get to see a, a movie if you bring a, a toy or um, non-perishable yeah, especially food. a miracle on 34th Street, man. The original, it's great. Mm-hmm. Fun times. So let's see here. Before the break, we said a little something about the Fed meeting next week. And did you did you happen across that Washington Post write-up earlier this week that said that... Um, at the September meeting, the majority of Fed members preferred a rate hike then. Hmm. But that Fed Chair Yellen said she really wanted to maintain the zero interest rate policy until global risk took s- some time to play out. Give it a little bit longer on the big global economy scale. And so we had a really good jobs report. That jobs report, we talked a lot about that last week, is a good report. Made um awesome actually 
wish every month were that good. And so housing numbers and everything seemed to be pretty strong. All of the indices showed that we were chipping away just fine. I think, you know, we should do is have a month over month interest rate graph on our site or like a year over year as well. We do. We do. So tell me this then from like December last year to December this year, right? The year over year change. I'm going to, I'm going to venture to say that interest rates are less. I believe you're right. This December than last. Yeah. My recollection was about this time last year, we were looking at a 30 year fixed around four and a half and today four. Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we do have um, some graphs, and I'm not sure how far. I'm gonna so the, log in and check it so out. So the rates are up a little, down a little. That's what's been going on for a while. But yeah. all in all, you can't. There's no way you're going to be able to hold an argument together that these potential increases aren't already priced into the bond market a little bit. Everybody understands that. I mean, especially if your livelihood depends on understanding this. Um, you know that the, when the feds meet next week, there's an 80% likelihood now. This is what the smartest people in the room are saying. There's an 80% likelihood that rates are going to get raised on next week. So knowing that, it's reflected in all of the investments, right? Interesting thing. You got your graph up. So I tell do. me, what do you see? Um, surprisingly, it's very uh, – or I guess – it's not too surprising. We're just off a little bit. I remember that the previous December was the bigger one because that was right about the taper thing, right? Yeah. So so here what we have. So we do have a, a page on our website. It's it's one of our, our menu items. Um, mortgage rates. Pretty simple, right? Seems mm -hmm. like the logical place to go. Um, first, we have just the week over week movement of of some a few of the key programs. A little bit down, we have the 52-week rate movement for a 30-year fixed loan. It's actually a Freddie Mac survey. So that way, we, you know, our business will change if we bring on a new investor or something like that. It might affect how this graph looks. When we, when we take it from a national um, source, then we know there's consistency in that data. Um, so what it shows was 52 weeks ago... We had it's based on APR also, not note rate. The APR sure. on a 30 year fixed was 3.95, and this year, right now, it looks to be 3.93, so ever so slightly lower. But check it out though, it's, it's cool that you're pointing out APR. And real quick, APR guys, we see this all the time. APR in terms of real estate means that we're taking what the interest rate feels like or maybe the true cost of the interest rate. It's the true cost of because borrowing. Because there are fees that you pay. When you buy a house, there are fees that you would pay regardless of whether you got a loan or not, right? For example, transfer tax or... Uh, you know, what other a fees title might report. Have, yeah, a title report. You don't have to have a notary to sign some Things forms. like this. But then there are fees that are definitely present in the transaction because you're getting financing, like an underwriting fee. Um, and, a, well, appraisal is kind of one of the gray ones. Um, but escrow. Credit report fee. And 
Thing, uh, the escrow charges a loan services fee or, yeah. or a loan tie-in fee. So when we look at the cost of a loan, it's really easy to say what the interest cost is. Take the note rate, take the term, and figure out what the total cost is. We can understand what that is. And if there were no other fees, the APR would match the note rate, right? Mm-hmm. When you have any of those fees present because you're getting a loan, there's then an increase in the APR. And so what it does is it takes those fees, adds them to interest, reruns the calculation and says, because of these fees, here's your APR. And the idea behind it is that you're going to see how to compare then what, because what if lender A is offering you a 4% 30-year fix and lender B is offering you a 4% 30-year fixed? The closing costs between the two aren't the same. Some of them are going to be customary to all transactions, fees that you'll always pay that are really third-party fees that don't change. And then some of them are lender-specific fees where one might be more than the other. So you can compare the note rate. You can compare the APR. It gives you a good way to look at it. The reason I think it's important where you're discussing the APR change year over year, basically negligible. However, I'm going to argue that with the increased cost of compliance and the challenges to putting together loans and even this year, the regulatory environment has changed so much over last year, those additional costs and fees have been passed through largely to the borrower. I mean, mm-hmm. this is sad but true, but the end user uh, bears the brunt of that cost typically. So. It, this to me suggests that interest rates themselves are a bit lower. The fees are probably a bit higher, but all in all, the transaction today is a is a cheaper, more affordable transaction than it was twelve months ago. And so, I think that we am kind of tying this back to what's what the Feds might have to chew on here is over the course of the whole year. Um, they talked about this for a long time. I mean. Isn't it true that June was the first month where we thought there was some potential the feds could raise rates? I mean, we went through the whole summer, and it wasn't the most likely. It was a 25 and a 40 and a 50% chance as we built farther into the fall. And and now here we are at an 80% likelihood that it'll happen in December. And it's not taking the steam right out of housing. Um, it hasn't taken the steam right out of the economy. We understand that it's a real possibility, yet we're making kind of still solid headway. Um, so we'll see, you know, but uh, you, you can't one, – one thing that's really interesting, though, is that um, an increase in the short-term rates could cause a slowdown, right? If that's what happens, that could actually drive mortgage interest rates down. If – the Feds raise rates and it is well accepted by the economy and doesn't seem to cause any increase or big problems or decrease in in productivity or you know any of those things that we might monitor be watching for the price indices and things like this. You go, you know what? It all was actually fine. Everything is okay. That could really cause an increase in the mortgage interest rate. So. Not only does it matter what the feds do this week, but it also matters how the general economy reacts. And the the other big takeaway is it it doesn't mean that mortgage interest rates are going to change dramatically one way or the other right away. Yeah, usually markets anticipate what they believe or or the traders, I guess, that influence markets anticipate what they believe will happen 
at these meetings and and it starts to get priced in leading up to the meeting um so the only time you really see a lot of volatility is if something unexpected happens um here you've got some you've got the majority you know four out of five people believing that rates will go up and one out of five people believing they won't so either way i don't think it's going to jolt the mortgage rate mark the mortgage interest rate market I could see scenarios where the Fed announces a rate hike, but we actually see mortgage rates decline slightly. I could see them staying flat. I could see them going up. I, I really, I, I don't think we're going to see a major move either way. You said, you know, it's important what they do. I thought you were going to say it's more important what they say. Right. Um, the Fed you know, immediately following the announcement, which occurs around 1115 Pacific time on Wednesday, um, Janet Yellen, the Fed chairman, will follow up with a several-hour press, press conference and yeah. get interrogated by um, the reporters. And if there's where I think the big news could be is if there's any clues about the pace of future rate hikes. Right yeah. now, the belief amongst among the the traders on Wall Street is that we're likely to see between three and four rate hikes over the next 12 months counting this december so they could easily say we're going to raise the overnight rate by a quarter of a percent and we will not raise this again um until the second quarter they could say something like that and then we would not know how to react okay that's a pretty benign movement because otherwise if they make no comment what do you add up i mean what there's 10 fed meetings a year right so if they didn't give us any kind of assurance, and we could only believe that they would likely raise a quarter at every meeting, we could go, holy smokes, that's two and a half points over the course of the year. And for some people, that would radically change their business plan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cause them to not make some purchases, not make some hires, not stockpile inventories, you know, <laughs> not put their payrolls on credit facilities like they sometimes do. I mean, there's so many things that you might honestly look at that policy or worse yet, the unknown policy. And then, you know, cause in business, when you're responsible for the P and L, no matter how big or small the company is, you got to anticipate stuff like that. And if you're, if there's some unknown, you need to err on the conservative side else you're just flapping when the thing happens and you're totally unprepared for it. The costs change, the scope changes. You wish you had, oh, I guess I shouldn't have bought that dozer last month for 200 grand. Now I have a real problem on my hands. I needed that money because of increased interest costs or lower borrowing opportunity or whatever. The, so this is what, this is ultimately, I think, yeah, the most significant part of no matter what they do, again, is going to be what they say about how we should anticipate because our economy wants to hang on those words and decide how to plan. How do I set up this next year? Should I feel comfortable or confident? Should I be ready to, to deploy capital and, and trust the climate? Or do I want to hunker down, hoard my cash, worry about tomorrow and, and be un, unsure about what might happen? Yeah. And I, unfortunately, in my opinion, when a Fed press conference occurs, it's not as direct as you might hope. They, they're not going to say, you know, we're going to just watch it for six months and see how it goes. That's not how it goes. They, you know, there's a lot of talking around the subject and and really at the end of it 
the the talking heads on television all just you know discuss whether it was dovish or hawkish and they say it in a real you know <clears throat> what the the current accommodative policy is yeah. likely to continue for an extended period of time yeah. and can you, you go, talk to the people of the country yeah can, <laughs> can you, you talk so say, everyone can understand what you yeah mean? tell me because my visa bills do on the 22nd can you just say <laughs> what's going to happen between now and the 22nd <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I, I you know, they've made this effort to be transparent. I wish they'd be transparent to all, not just Oh, and I think the reality few. of it is is there's sort of a majestic vagueness to it. <laughs> right. Because that way they don't have to be wrong or not do what they said they were gonna do. <laughs> very true. Not my fault you misinterpreted. Yeah, very true. You know? The kid says can I have some cookies? And you say, Did you brush your teeth yet? So then they brush their teeth and come back and say, I'm ready for cookies. That's not what I said. I said, did you brush your teeth? <laughs> it was in response to my question. Sorry you misunderstood that. You know? Why would I let you have cookies after you brush your teeth? That's crazy. Sometimes you might. Who knows? Kind of funny. I think for all of the, the reasons, which are very valid reasons that you went over, you know, if, if rate hikes were to occur at every one of the meetings next year, you know businesses that would be shocking tightening a little just because of that unknown environment um it, it would be shocking and for all those reasons i that's why that's not going to happen i'm thinking there's going to be some kind of remark about yeah the pace and not not just there has to be a moderate pace <laughs> with a you know whatever vague vague they're gonna do <laughs> i i i honestly think that they're gonna say that something to the effect of the liftoff of this first change is the first of what currently the Fed's target to be a total less than 1% change by the end of the year. And they also might even suggest that or remind people during the meeting that if they make it a quarter up in December, they have the ability to make it a quarter down in yep. January and to remind everybody that it's not just a one-way road, that the fact is, is that, and, and I can see Janet Yellen spending a lot of time saying how everything on American soil is, causes us to believe that this is the right time to normalize. The global market, however, isn't the right time to normalize. And so what we're going to do is give it a shot and not only see how it affects us, but what does what happens globally. And if we find unintended consequences globally, the, our economy is in a position such that we could take the quarter back out at the next meeting and see if we can, you know, sort of bring the, the global economy along with us, you know, and, and I could see something like that where you could you could say, I understand that that makes sense to me. Um, but all in all, I mean, I don't see I, don't, I just don't see them saying we went over everything and we're raising it by a quarter and everything's going to be fine. Um, there's yeah. going to be a lot of calming remarks and a lot of direction about what to expect next. Yeah. I, I feel like now is the appropriate time for, for my prediction. I, I predict that we <laughs> will have a rate hike of a quarter of a point. Okay. Um, and I believe that the, the testimony that will follow will at the end of it, the consensus will be that it was dovish and that. You know, there's maybe a 50% chance we see one in the first quarter and a 70% chance we see the second rate hike in June. 
Yeah. That's kind of what I'm anticipating. I think there's going to be a lot of time spent, like you said, um, calming everyone, reminding them that we can always go back. We don't have to go forward, can, you know, on this path. And, or you can do nothing. Or that we could stay and just monitor it for a, a good long while. So I think my prediction is that that's how the the announcement and the the conference, the press conference afterward are going to go, and that we're going to see mortgage rates hold or, or even slightly decline in the short term. Yeah. Well, that's a snooze because that's exactly how I describe this thing. I mean, what I think is most likely this week is the same. The feds are going to look at this, give a lot of good explanation about what the what the potentials are in terms of we can raise them, we can hold them, we can lower them. One of the things that I wondered, though, honestly, was... You know, typically the, everything's happening in quarter point increments. I wondered under, under this new circumstance, might we see an eighth? Hmm, that would be unusual. It would be very unusual. And and doesn't this time call for something unprecedented and unusual to say? And and that wouldn't mean a lot to most people. Your takeaway at the end of the day is you're like, you know, taking another bite of your peas. All you're going to be thinking about is the Fed's raised rates today. If that happened. I'm 100% confident that rates would drop because sure. it, even the folks that are predicting as much as four rate hikes next year, they're all thinking a quarter point each. Right. So what if so what <clears throat> if that's the what if that's the cool compromise that says, "You know what, guys? Policy is changing, but let us give you an idea of how slow it's going to be, how deliberate it's going to be, and how committed we are to not shocking anything, but just beginning to move in a normalizing way i didn't even factor that in as a possibility that that would be very interesting. i hope they are because i you know if i was on the board that would be my proposal is i'd like to say you know what because then even if they went every meeting they got this precedent of it's very little so now we don't need to get in that um you know kind of ready for shock hunkered down feeling every month we can go yeah it's an eighth i mean and on an eighth that's really easy for us to deal with that's really easy for us to absorb and it's almost benign so here's another question yeah. currently the fed funds rate is not zero zero to a quarter it's a range zero to a quarter right so if they do raise it a quarter let's say is it a range still or are we just going to a flat quarter? I don't know. I'm too young to know that. <laughs> I, I mean, like so, to think it's quarter to a half. So if they just go to a flat quarter and no more range, did they really change rates at all? Maybe. How do they determine where you fall in the range when they're loaning out money? I think it has to do in the purpose of it, like mm. from the overnight, right? So it's really if one facility is borrowing or lending to another that's the rate or range they can borrow in and some are none and some are a quarter and some are in between hmm. so uh, and that's my interpretation and maybe i'm just simplifying it that's possibly not even true at all but that's how i've cozied up to it in my mind and so yeah i don't know this you know what the free lunch is over all you guys that were getting nothing the zero rate are getting a quarter rate because a quarter is now the new floor for everyone i don't know if that's how it works i in my mind's eye i think it goes from zero to a quarter to a quarter to a half but yet i do remember that the overnight rate 
you know, back in the day was less, at least my impression of it was less of a range and more of a finite It's always a, a number. It's always been a number until only recently. I don't know. Maybe it's just because you can't just have zero. <laughs> it's got to be something between zero and very small. I don't know. Good question. You know what, Dan? I'll look into it a little bit farther. <laughs> um, th- this next week, I'll I'll try to... And, and honestly, it's something that I've been wanting to read more about. I watched a video this week on one of the... Um, it was one of the, the Fed Reserve Banks issued um, the significance of the overnight rate, basically. And it was a, it's only like an eight-minute-long video, but I, I mean to tell you, this was like some of the longest eight minutes of my life. And, and part of the reason why I could tell they were making a real effort to be simple about it, and I feel like I understand a little bit more than the layman does, and... I was lost pretty quick in credit default swap type of thing where I'm like, oh, I thought you were going to, I thought it was going to be like apples and oranges kind of thing. I can track you on that widgets and baskets when you start getting into derivatives and, you know, these, I don't, I'm. It gets pretty technical pretty quick. Very quick. I have a really great read at the office called um, The Handbook of Mortgage-Backed Securities, and it talks all about that stuff. It is good sleeping material. Yeah, it's going to (laughs) say, guaranteed to cure insomnia. Yeah, it's a pretty thick book, too. (laughs) Probably like as boring as like a manual on mortgage loan processing. Yeah, it's, there are elements of it that I find pretty fascinating, but it's still, reading it's hard to connect the dots. Yeah. Well, and that's why you're like, oh, no wonder this stuff's so, like, complicated and can ruin the world. Because yeah. even this guy that's explaining it, I think, is just doing the, like, in in sales, I used to call this the, you'd watch some of the sales guys, like, back when I used to sell ski goods. Some of the guys would just do what I call the the sandstorm sales pitch. Where if you've ever been in a sandstorm, you you can't shield your eyes from it. It gets in your mouth and your nose and your everything. So you're just, oh, my God. And you're forced to just make a decision based on your best chance of surviving. And that's like a sales tactic. And I feel like that's partly what I was watching was like, oh, if you use enough words like default swap derivative coupon that pretty soon I'm going to be like, yeah, you're right, buddy. That's exactly why this matters because I'm gasping for air in an unknown direction it's just before 10 we only have uh, a hand wave before the next break so um, i want to remind you guys we have a whole nother hour coming there's some other stuff to talk about retail sales producer price index and by the way there's some baffling parts of the producer price index still that i'm not sure i understand so maybe you can explain that to me so we're going to do a break here. Go get some fresh coffee. Do whatever you got to do. We'll be back in about five minutes for another hour of Mortgage Matters. Do stick around. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now... Here's Dan and Jason. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I am telling you why. 
Santa Claus is coming to town. Love this version, man. Michael Check Bublé. Twice. Awesome. Find so old world. Yeah. This guy's an old soul. Santa I love Claus it. You guys seen his um, Christmas special on NBC last couple of years? Yeah, I was. I saw it on Wednesday. I think it was. Oh, did it already happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really good. Yeah, I've the last couple of years I watched it. I thought it was pretty entertaining. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's good. And he likes it. Does like the traditional way too, you know. By the way. Santa Claus is going to be in a Royal Grandy today. No really? way. Yeah. I know him. They, they, they booked him. They booked him right along with uh, Miracle on 34th Street at the Fair Oaks Theater at 11 o'clock. There you go. Oh, cool. Yeah, we talked about other uh, Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah. But Santa is going to be there, too. So you can go to, you said the Fair Oaks? Fair Oaks, bring, a, bring an unwrapped toy or food a or non-perishable food item. Today, 11 o'clock, Fair Oaks Theater. And they're going to be showing Miracle on 34th Street. There you go. Awesome, huh? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. We always launch Christmas season in my house with a viewing of the elf. Yeah. Oh, that's a good movie. Will Ferrell. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, it's very funny. Will Ferrell's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) He's so weird. (laughs) But when he's like, he mixes the spaghetti with... um, maple uh, syrup and all the candy and is like eating it with his hands and then he yeah. what, he drinks like a two liter thing of soda yeah. and oh my kids think that's hilarious well i've worked in tv a little bit too on television news and stuff and uh the whole anchorman thing kind of did you watch anchorman too yeah that was so smart did it's, you see that yeah i haven't seen that the part where he's like basically inventing having the ticker and oh. like the news feed, yeah. he starts covering um, high speed chases. <laughs> yeah. Like the other networks are like yeah. not covering them, but he's like, This is what America wants to see. So they're like, We're going to follow this live feed until it ends. And you remember like when you were a kid, when yeah. uh, high speed chases were like suddenly getting on TV. And it was close to the same time that you started seeing like data bars on the sides and scrolling tickers and stuff. But it's so he like kind of in this movie is taking the credit for the the morph from the seventies Anchorman into like the eighties high speed chases, you know all the the super kind of shocky stuff with the tickers and everything. It's kind of smart. I mean, mm-hmm. all in all, the movie's pretty stupid. I'm Ron Burgundy, and yeah. here's what's happening in your world tonight. Yeah, gotta love it. Pretty funny stuff. <laughs> One of the things I saw this week. Um, Okay, so I don't. I try really, really, really hard not to get political a lot on the show, and I'm gonna try hard today to not. But um, I want to talk about the rental housing inspection in San Luis Obispo. Okay. Yeah, I think this is very pertinent to our show. It is. It's pertinent. And and by all means, I mean, it's not my intent to upset or offend anyone. And, and what I mean by I try not to be real political. I I'm a minimal government kind of guy. That's that's where I come from. And I, I in this housing thing here in slow, I recognize that it's a problem, though, because the free market isn't exactly working very well when there's such a pent up demand, which arguably is created by other government policies, right? Like the no growth ordinances and things like this. 
but so then it creates kind of an unfair advantage to the property owners and some of the the renter rights get swept under the rug and evidently i mean i i mean we've all been in some houses here and so i went to cow poly you went to cow poly i rented housing when i was you know younger i've been in some rental houses here that are old and i've seen some pretty wonky stuff like you know complete with i mean sometimes you go to an open house near Cal Poly over there or something, you find like a, a wide hallway that's now got sheets hanging in the doorways and is the extra bedroom type of thing. You see some wonky stuff. Um, but all in all, it's, it's hard for me then to make the leap that the personal property rights of the owner are infringed upon by these ordinances that now are fee-driven, government-mandated, and then, of course... One of the reasons that we have to have the fees, that we have to have the staff, and so it becomes a self-perpetuating thing. So that that's probably my biggest hang-up on it. And I'm not going to say anything more about that component of it after this, but let's just talk a little bit about... I forwarded it to you, by the way. Did you pull it up? I am. I, I'm looking at it. The purpose and intent is to safeguard the public and preserve the city's neighborhoods and housing stock by ensuring that rental housing units are maintained in a safe and sanitary condition in accordance with the state housing law. I get, I I understand how it is this thing comes apart uh, together. One of the things about this whole housing inspection thing is we've established the criteria, and, and this document goes on to say. And so basically, here you go: is that if you are in San Luis Obispo, you are required to participate in, in owning an investment property. You're required now to participate in this program, and. There's a registration period where you have to declare that you've got rental property and um, you have to do the inspection. There's an initial inspection and subsequent inspections. And from what I understand in reading here, if you have, um, you know, you register, pay your fee, get your infection, your inspection and have no finding, then you're up and running and then you're going to get... Um, reinspected periodically it seemed like if you had no infractions or you know violations that the inspection would occur i think it said each three each every three years um but one of the things about this that i thought was just kind of interesting is that the fees aren't yet described nor are the oh. penalties okay um and in the <clears throat> end one of the other than the ability for landlords to be renting out things that maybe are inadequately maintained, I mean, you're gonna have the whole scope. Really nice houses, adequately maintained houses, houses with deferred maintenance that are still meeting health and safety and building code standards to homes. I'm sure you can find homes in San Luis Obispo that are not meeting standards, that have real health and safety concerns. Um, that are in violation of building code, like people living in a hallway. I mean, I, I, I believe you could find the whole spectrum here. Um, and then one of the things about this, so other than not yet understanding the fees, because the fees I think are going to, oh, that's where I was going with that. So in addition to all those kind of things, you're going to find the whole spectrum of what's on the list here all the way around the board. But that's afforded to these landlords are able to do that kind of thing because there's such a pinch for housing. P 
people are accepting of lackluster conditions, maybe even outright unhealthy conditions because they desperately need a place to live and they're paying a premium for it. Well, so when you add in these additional costs and fees for the oversight, regulation, fines, inspection, participation, reinspection, all these things, isn't the end user going to get stuck paying the additional cost now too? Well, not only will fees be passed through to the renter, but you're going to you're probably going to have a lot of people displaced from unsafe, you know, whatever's deemed unsafe living environments. Like if they're living in something that's not a bedroom or something that's not, you know, a habitable room. I know my first place that I lived in, I probably would have been told that I couldn't live in it. But it was affordable for you, right? And that was my primary concern. But so what we're going to have, not only will some fees be passed through, but we're going to have displacement of people, which is going to further... So those people that are displaced are going to have to go find other housing, which is going to further impact... Create more demand. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. I think it's going to cause rental housing to get more expensive. For me, as as a, um, you know, as a, what was I, sophomore, junior or something, when I went to Cal Poly and, and was living in rental housing price was my number one factor sure i personally was paying a healthy portion of what it cost to go to to live and survive and go to school um and price mattered immensely i would short of living in a box i would probably i would live in almost anything and as long as it was affordable to me yeah so it i get it i get you know, trying to it's a complicated safety. issue, right? I mean, you got to agree right away that it's really complicated. Because the next thing is like, well, if this is going to lead to the unintended consequences of the housing becoming less affordable, I mean, because that's really probably, I think, where the city should be putting most of their focus is on creating more affordable housing opportunities. I don't know what that means. Lower fees on affordable developments. Uh, rezone things, provide incentives to builders to build workforce housing, do some stuff. It gets talked about a lot. Do some real stuff to make things more affordable. This is, I think, a, a, the anti-affordable movement. And, well, it comes, but at listen a time, to this. it comes at a time when the project on Grand Avenue, that big parking lot outside the pack where they f- they've approved it to move forward sure. and, and add some thousands of units. And then the plan is to continue to add housing stock in other parts of the available area of campus to eventually get it up to 10,000 um, on-site residences. Beds, yeah, yeah, basically. So there's still more to go. So there is that part of the plan to solve the student portion. But obviously, a lot of students want to live outside of campus and start to, you know, just live live life as adults. And that yeah, but the still non, the, I know a lot of the, you know, when I was in that demographic, and I think it's still true today, a lot of the non-student youth of our county also would like to be in San Luis Obispo. Sure. Yeah. So if the student youth is moving on to campus, um, you're going to have the non-student youth loving to be near downtown and loving to be like in the part of the county. Because if you're t- 23 years old and work in construction, I mean, you live in Los Osos or you can live in Slow. And if Slow's enjoying a little bit of vacancy because those kids are moving on to campus, you're kind of still going to end up in the same boat. People that affordable housing is their priority and they really want to be in slow. I mean, and there's another, there's a whole host of reasons why the Cal Poly kids don't want to live on campus at Cal Poly. They want to have a house near Cal Poly. 
you know, outside of their rain and their dry campus and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but listen to this. this. And this is the thing that always, this is where I kind of start to get pissed at government. Exemptions. So who's exempt? Mobile home units within mobile home parks. Okay. I, I suppose I'd understand that to some degree. Because mobile homes are generally viewed as personal property they're registered through dmv uh, right so interesting though so do whatever you want to do in your mobile home park we don't care if you have unsafe conditions yeah we'll let you live in substandard housing and unsafe conditions if if you're in a mobile home probably because it's affordable right but not in a stick built structure don't jack with those people they're already struggling Mm -hmm. they they barely can pay their space rent okay second group here that's uh exempt HUD Section 8 housing units and equivalent housing units. They left a little chunk of majestic vagueness in there. So government subsidized housing. I want to tell you a story about an apartment complex that I lived in on LT Gray Court. You know where LT Gray Court is? I do, yeah. It's right there by the corner of Los Osos Valley Road and Madonna. Yeah, and before they built the uh, Telosa Ranch, the really nice apartments that myself in college, there's no way I could afford to live there. Yeah, those are nice. That wasn't there. There was all those really ugly cypress trees and a unmaintained grassy dirt field that ran down to the Motel 6, right? The Home Depot and the um, Costco and the that area on the... I don't know, maybe the south, south side yeah. of what I will call Madonna South has really gotten um, gentrified. (laughs) It's some really nice housing. You know what's still right across the street? Your apartments. Section 8 housing. Up and down that block and the apartments that we lived in. And and I'm telling you, look at, get a police scanner. I mean, there is increased crime over there. There are substandard living conditions there i know because i lived in one of them the landlord we weren't section eight but the landlord was section eight approved and she only wanted to do some of the units by section eight so um some of the people that were on section eight were very great people others were one of them was like a known crack dealer in our apartment building so point being we just we just exempted the Section 8 housing, we exempted and equivalent housing units. So those ones that are providing the most affordable housing to some of the you know, most needy segment of the population, those are the ones that we don't care if you participate in this inspection plan. And you know what? Maybe I'm missing the point that they already have some other inspection or something that they're adhering to. I don't know. But it seems like there should have been some kind of explanation here as to why these people, which I would argue, I mean, that from a landlord perspective, <clears throat> Section 8 caps the rent that you can charge. And it is paid to the landlord, like guaranteed on the first. So you have some issue where the person that's staying there isn't directly paying the rent to you. So it kind of creates this um, sort of security for the landlord. Um, but I think the trade off, though, is that you're accepting lower rent, right? And so all in all, in those situations where you're getting lower rent, those are the problems where, like in our building, that's where the maintenance issues were. There was significant problems with things, but the landlord just didn't care because it was a 
there's section eight people were the cash cow people and the rest of us were like if you like it keep paying your rent and if you don't you're welcome to leave we'll backfill it so those places are going to be um exempted from participating um next up is dwelling units owned or managed by a government agency Oh, so awesome. I love that. I don't know which ones they're owning or operating, but I'm glad they don't have to meet the standards and pay the fees. So we're going to pass a law and everyone's going to have to comply except for us. Except for us. I mean, what's good for the goose is good for the gander is no longer uh, whatever. Uh, What's good for the goose is not good for the government. Um, And residential dwelling units that are occupied by the registered owner or owner as recorded within the San Luis Obispo County Clerk Quarters office. So that's exempt. So you want to know what your out is? You can be a slumlord if you're slumming too. Yeah, slum it up, dog. <laughs> then you can do whatever you want to do to whoever's willing to oh my cohabitate in your crap environment with you. So all in all, oh, and then, um, by the way, there is a self-certification part of the program, which I love because I like I love Iran's current self-certification thing. Uh, but it's just awesome when you allow, like government allows people to self-certify things. Um, you can self-certify yourself. So basically, after your initial inspection, if you're found to be like above board, and I think this was an effort to just kind of stop some of the screamers that go, why are you punishing me with the slumlords? I don't do that. Said, okay, if you are found to be in compliance with a property that meets building codes and standards and yada, yada, then, you know, and you've had no code violations or complaints within the last three years, you'll be allowed to um, self-certify. So then you're back to that old thing of, okay, well, where are the complaints going to come from? The oppressed kid that's living in the closet in there. And now he knows that if he complains, now you're going to end up, you know, having a visit, which means you'll no longer be able to self-certify and he loses his affordable housing. So in the end, you know, these people basically are going to have to clear this thing one time before they can continue with their, unsafe or oppressive living environment and just keep paying the fee now to the new government agency that collects the fee uh, for their salaries and enforces the program. I, I, you see my cynical nature to the whole thing, but I, I can't help but wonder, uh, is, th- is this all the best use of the city resources? And when is somebody going to come on in here and just sue over this? This thing could probably get some real legs because as a property owner, whether or not you own or occupy, just owning real property in California, one of the reasons that real estate has the value it has in the U.S., let alone California, is that the rules, the rights, the the right to enjoyment, the legality of your ownership, those things are well understood. And does this convolute that in some way? <clears throat> The purpose and intent of this chapter is to safeguard the public, except for people who live in mobile homes, Section 8 housing, who live in their own slum, or government a government housing, and preserve the city's neighborhoods and housing stock by ensuring that rental housing units are maintained in a safe and sanitary condition, except for those aforementioned places. The ones that probably yeah. need it the most. This seems like it's a it's a lawsuit waiting to happen because it's it's the standard isn't being applied to everyone equally. Well, and what if you just had like a wee tip line, like as a tenant, 
when I was in a situation where I didn't feel that my rights were being honored, I mean, one of the things is is that you the, the law already prescribes what you can do. Withhold your rent, make your demands, do your things, follow the, <clears throat> the laws and rules. But the reality of it is, is if you go rock that boat, you're going to end up back in the house hunt that was cutthroat to begin with. And a year old lease in this town is usually cheaper than today's lease. So I, I just feel like, you know, there could have been something a whole lot more simple for just making the complaint process a bit more clear. I don't know. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the real intent here is not necessarily to create fees safe and jobs. Safe oh. safeguard the renter because I mean I'm thinking about me, right? And my situation when I was a young person renting a home, it was about what I could afford. If it was some place that I didn't feel was safe for me, I wouldn't have rented it. You know, I'm not going to jeopardize oh, Dan, my safety to rent something. Stop where you are. Do not try to have some sort of self-accountability or self-governance or, you know, don't try to make decisions on what a suitable living environment is for you, Mr. College student. <laughs> we have the government to do that for you now. It's just, it's what this is in my view is that it's really about the owner occupied residences that are surrounded by rental units and a way f to try to appease those folks so that the rental units around them have some kind of standard that they can't just be running to the ground, have red cups everywhere and, you know, kegs on the front lawn and all that kind of stuff that, I mean, it, it does go on. I get it. Of course it does. I get it. I like the, I, I like a different solution. But I, I, you know, the same thing, I, you're going to, there's going to be some kind of notification period that, hey, we're going to come and inspect your home, right? Do you not think that every landlord or every tenant that's living in a house with some questionable situations aren't going to dress up that house as best they can prior to inspection and then return to the way they typically live after inspection? Maybe. You know, the guy who's living in the hallway, he's probably going to throw his clothes in his buddy's closet. They're going to slide the mattress into the back of a truck and drive it down the street and let the inspection happen and then move it all back in. It's kind of silly. It does seem like it's not fairly applied to everyone, which is probably the biggest problem with it. That's a big problem. Interesting. And I, and I just struggle. It doesn't say anything about like maximum number of people in a home. I thought that was an issue. Oh, I thought dude. there was, isn't there some kind of rule about, That's discrimination, you know, bud. in San Luis, maximum of, of five unrelated people in a home, or am I making that up? I, I feel like I've heard that. that up. I know, th I know there are things that we can regulate, like how many on-site vehicles you can have that are safely parked and those kind of things. There's covered parking requirements and things like this that are part of the building code. But you, you, you know, when what? Look at those. My wife watches some of those TV shows with a dude that's got like nine wives and 40 kids or something. If you wouldn't forbid one of those people to live in some size housing or something, I mean, that's discrimination. And as as we are aware, too, depending on your ethnicity um, and what culturally you might desire for how many generations or people are under one roof. 
Uh, but likewise, also for affordability. Sometimes we see multi-generational people living under one roof because they need to afford it that way. So I don't see it curing that aspect of it. You know, so I, yeah, I wonder what they're after. And does the inspector come in and is like, oh my God, that carpet. Like, think about those Cal Poly houses you've been to. You're like, that carpet is so nasty. I'm sure that's unhealthy. <laughs> it's a health, that's a health thing. Or it's torn, right? There's like a the seam in the middle of it is now stretched out and kicked up like the last frat party, like trash the carpet. So now there's a safety concern. Somebody can catch their toe on that carpet and hit themselves in the head on the, the brick fireplace. Okay. So that's that's a question, though, like because uh, I'm curious, you know, what what is it that you would tolerate as something deemed health and safety? And is it preference? Where's the line? Yeah, I mean, for me, I like clean. How about, a, how about a broken toilet seat that like pinches your butt when you like sit on it and get up? Is yeah. that a is that a, a an offense that that this person can demand that you fix? Yeah, where's the line? I, I yeah, I get your point, and it's different. People have different thresholds for what they'll tolerate. I mean, mine are high. I I'm a I'm a snob of some sorts, a beer snob and a water snob, um, but I'm also a like. I'm a cleanliness snob. I I go to hotels that I won't take my shoes off in that Priceline called two and a half stars or better or something. I mean, so I've got really high standards. But then again, I'm not a kid trying to get a room for 300 bucks a month. I, I can afford to pay the demanded mortgage that it costs for me to live in my desired conditions. So, you know, it, it just seems to me that it's so subjective and... In the end, it, where's the balance of those property rights? And how is it that it doesn't, it's not for everyone? How do we exempt people out of this? It's like if, you, if you're going to establish a minimum uh, suitability for living conditions, at least make that across the board. I mean, one of the things that I'm, I'm starting, I'm trying to like find where I, I agree with this. And like one of the things that comes to mind is a home where there's obvious fire hazards. Yeah, no heater, for example. So people have got heat dishes set up in every room of the house. Right. So that, you know, that makes sense to me. We don't because if one house goes up now, it threatens the neighboring houses to potentially burn. Well, not them only that, but I don't want to see some kids burned to death in a house. But but here's the rub with this policy is. Okay, so that rental house there, you know, at, at 69 Smith Street is a, is a rental unit, and it's clearly a fire hazard. Oh, but 67 Smith Street that's owner-occupied, that one's, you know, also a fire hazard, but the owner lives there. So we'll just let that one sit there and be a threat to the rest of the neighborhood. That doesn't make any sense to me. We almost if, need just the government to just make sweeps of all housing. I mean, if and that's where I'm talking about, you know, the the fairness aspect here, the where it's applied to all housing equally. There should be no exemptions. If the goal is to is to make safer neighborhoods, there then every home should comply. Yeah. I it's a trip. And I'll tell you what, um, it's hotly contested. Oh, I bet. I really only get the vantage point of a lot of real estate agents, and many of them are are pretty upset. In fact, the ones that support this are at least the vocal minority because they're not saying anything. I'm not hearing it. Um, I'm kind of curious if any of our listeners want to suggest whether or not this is, um, by, by the way, 
<laughs> yeah, so maybe call 543-8830. Tell us what you think about this. What would Trump say about this? This dude, he would probably tee off on the the personal infringements and property rights and all these things. And I mean, that's I feel like just kind of one of the things, though, is that there, this thing seems ambiguous. It seems subjective. It seems divisive. It seems that it's fee exacting. Well, let's think about the economics of this policy, too. In addition to fees, if there's a, a, a landlord who's owned a property for 50 years and has never improved it, and that's one of the properties being targeted, if that person's forced into some kind of rehab or remodeling, there's potentially a reassessment that could be due based on all the improvements. Oh, sure. And then property tax collection goes up. So there's a there's a big economic component to this whole thing as well. You talked about, you know, maybe maybe there's some real estate professionals who might be in favor of this. Well, if a lot of these homes are rehabbed, then rents are likely to go higher and then the therefore the commissions are also likely to go higher. So there's a whole big economic component to everything. It's a tricky balance with Safety, public safety versus the private property rights, and per- potentially driving up the cost to the tenant. Yeah, we y- your uh, your solicitation has earned us a phone call from Eric in Oceano. Good morning, Eric. Hello. How are you? Good. I've just been uh, listening, and I'm pretty much on board with everything you guys are saying. One thing that really wasn't brought up, though, that I think is the uh, written in the Constitution is our Fourth Amendment right. Yeah. I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but uh, the government shouldn't be able to just to come into our property without a warrant, right? I mean, I yeah, but I, evidently now if you own property in San Luis Obispo, you waive that right because you own property in San Luis Obispo. Well, that's the thing that's going on in America, right? The yeah, we, Constitution is right, going right. out the window at the uh, expense of, I mean, it is a liberal city, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's under attack for sure. I, I, I mean, yeah, it's interesting, interesting times for sure. I, I don't even know how it, it gets by. I don't, there's got to be some kind of lawyer out there who's got to be smart enough to see this and challenge it. Yeah, and I wonder, and I wonder too, yeah, and, and what, what cost is that going to come at when somebody really does make a good run at this new local ordinance and says, you have overstepped yourself in a real big way, and now here's a bunch of additional expenses that you'll pay <laughs> to, to try to defend yourself. Somebody's going to be harmed. Somebody's going to be able to claim some good financial harm out of this, you know, especially yeah. in, in San Luis Obispo where uh, want to figure out how much your rent potential rent is on your property multiply your bedroom count by a thousand that's a pretty good base point so you know dan was telling me during the break there's a seven bedroom house for sale and slow um that's a seven thousand dollar a month potential income stream so you one of these policies derails some dude like that he fails an inspection and then loses eighty five thousand dollars of rent in the year I mean, you can just see some, you know, and and what? Then he can't make his mortgage payments. Now you've ruined his credit and he's lost his livelihood. You could see this being something that's like far reaching problem for, I mean, what seems to me, yeah, as you point out, the Fourth Amendment does protect against uh, unreasonable search and seizure. So there you go. Interesting. Well, the interesting thing is you said in terms of, you know, following the money, and I understand this, and you made the point, and in that uh, 
you have existing homeowners and then you have this rotation, you know, every year of college students who, you know, sometimes celebrate too much or whatever. I get that. Um, so, you know, how do you mitigate that? That's every college town. But the other thing is, is it is because of the rotation of those call, of those students that come in every year from Fresno, rich agrarian children from the Bay Area, rich engineering student children, and from Los Angeles, rich entertainment children. So, you know, and I think San Luis Obispo government knows this, and that's basically it's extracting as much money as you can from these people so that they can have their, you know, exorbitant police salaries, exorbitant um, government city government pay packages, and we all know San Luis is one of the most highly paid city jobs you can have in the state of California. So this is just another way to extract more money from that group of people. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Eric, thanks much for your phone call today. I really appreciate it. All right. Take it easy. You too. It is 1038. It's time for commercial break. Um, if you guys want to call and talk any more about it, um, I, I'd love to hear from somebody that's in favor of it. And, and by all means, don't feel like you'll be attacked. I think you can sense that I, I feel, at least right now, based on any arguments I've heard, I feel relatively opposed to the idea. Dan seems like you're being a little bit more open-minded and wanting to see the good in it. Well, I get uh, I get the public safety aspect. Yeah. But I, I got to believe there's maybe a, another road to get there i want somebody to call in and tell me about why it is they think this is a, a great idea or that it's being implemented properly um 543-8830 we're going to take a commercial break here we'll be back in a couple minutes with more mortgage matters to ask a question or make a comment call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832 mortgage matters on kvec news talk 920 we'll be back after these messages from our sponsors state of denial is a drag and a trial when i bought my cheap insurance should have known this day would come now i've had an accident and i'm feeling quite alone called them at least 20 times but they won't pick up the phone without personal service my policy's kind of worthless get to a better state state farm switch to state farm and you can save to find out more in san luis obispo call agent susan rodriguez we're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. 
Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Citricoast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. Cause no matter how far away you When you pine for the sunshine of a friendly gaze For the holidays you can't beat home, sweet home All right, everybody, welcome back. We've been talking about this rental housing ordinance and, I don't know, maybe that conversation's run its course we didn't get any more callers though apparently we can't drum up anyone from our listenership that <laughs> supports <No>. it <laughs> that's the only conclusion one can draw maybe maybe and yeah How? I, we were talking in the break you know there's i i believe most if not all municipalities have some sort of code enforcement um, well, yeah, if you're going to have a code, you have to have some way of enforcing it. Usually there's code enforcement officers. I know Morro Bay, you know, part of their Did plan, you they hired know two new code enforcement officers. That I was at one point the code enforcement guy for Tascadero. I didn't know that. Yeah, when I was at um, Cal Poly, I worked, I was like mostly done with my coursework and, and was working. I, I already had a kid then, actually. Um, so I'd, I'd worked throughout college, but yeah, I worked at the city of Atascadero in community development and, um, there was no code enforcement officer. So I was the code enforcement officer. I had, a access to this like Chevy blazer that had, um, a siren. It was like the old fire chief thing or something from the city. Mm-hmm. So I had like a siren and a bullhorn and a, um, you know, lights. So I cruised around and uh, I I enforced the codes, man. You know, it was exciting. You want me to tell you what I did mostly? Sure. Uh, people complained that someone was living in a motorhome next to them or like a fifth wheel travel trailer or anything like that, okay, which way. was prohibited. So I went and investigated that and wrote nasty letters demanding that they disconnect it from the power and put the slides in me, you know take the steps away put the awning down and investigated complaints also right. like for example somebody was unlawfully keeping bees in a neighborhood that had like 5,000 square foot lots and um, with no permit of course we w- the city wouldn't have allowed that in that zoning right it's not a good residential use but uh, right across the street there was a licensed daycare. They had a um, like in-home daycare. They had a kiddie pool in the front yard where the kids were playing in the kiddie pool. And the bees that lived across the street wanted the water from the kiddie pool. So these kids were being attacked by bees. So, you know, I got to eradicate that. 
So those things like that. Um, but yeah, you, if you have codes, you have to enforce your codes. So you have to be able to send somebody out on site to look at it and determine whether or not they're in compliance with the code. And the idea of a code enforcement officer is to preserve public safety with respect to, ha to dwelling units. Yeah. So you send some letters and you demand that they rectify the, you know, cease insist the behavior, whatever it is, fix the thing, turn off the light, move the bees, whatever it is. You would think, I mean, the city of, obviously city of Sloan doesn't uh, believe in well, their program. It's hopefully not they fired their code inspector when they had to roll out this new program. Yeah, it, it's interesting. We've got another caller on the line. We've got Brett calling from San Luis Obispo. Morning, Brett. Hey, hey, how you guys doing this morning? Good. How about you? Not bad, not bad. I'm working. I'm uh, getting ready to get off of work in a little bit, hopefully. Soon, Are you the so. code inspector for Slow? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely, definitely. That'd not. be funny. <laughs> um, I was, I was just calling because uh, I, I actually, I, I thought of another thing while I was on hold too. Um, number one, I heard you guys say something about uh, more than five people in a in a domicile here. I'm not sure whether it's a county because I, I just moved to the area, so I don't know the town and the county ordinances. Um, but usually in different places, it's it's actually more than it's uh, more than five women in a household. Because if more than five, it's considered it's an old law. If there's more than five women in a household, it's considered a brothel. <laughs> oh, really? Whoa! Yes, that is actually a law that has not been changed or repealed or anything like that, and it's and it's upheld in a lot of places. Um, you know, and it's and I don't know how uh, sororities get around that, um, uh, but. Uh, it's, you know, in other states, I know that that's definitely a law, um, which Interesting. is a little bit. <laughs> that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it really, it's a weird, it's a weird um, loophole in the law. Um, and the other thing is, I, I just moved here from Hawaii. I was living in Maui for a little bit, and um, I actually lived in, a, I was renting a, a home, uh, you know, a home from a, from a Section 8 housing inspector. <laughs> oh, and uh, and yeah, um, coincidentally enough, uh, we had we had a really bad bug problem. <laughs> but um, but I know for I know from I know from experience with him um, for, for Section Eight houses, I guess the reason that that uh, that doesn't fall under under that statute is because uh, all Section Eight houses must must get inspected before the tenant comes in by by Section Eight inspectors. Okay, yeah, so, I, so that I that sounds like a valid exemption like then. Yeah. All right, we'll let that... thing that they inspect it well, but they, they have to get inspected <laughs> to some degree. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I figure that as, it, as such, that agency probably did do some kind of self-regulating, but the other ones, though, I can't, I can't find an excuse for. The mobile homes. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, that's kind of... That's, I mean, those places are in worse condition than most places anyway. Right, yeah. So... That's that's weird, and I know the Section Eight inspector that that had roaches in his house. You know, I don't know how they. I don't know the Section Eight inspectors out here, so I, you know, I'm not going to knock them. But you know, I know at least in Hawaii, the the, the uh, well, I'm guessing were, that that falls under the law applies to you, but not me um, exemption. Yeah. <laughs> Before we let Brett go, I just found out on there's uh, my best friend moved into a sorority house and told me that the girls had to sleep with their windows open. You're round because otherwise the house would technically be considered a brothel. What? If you close the windows? <laughs> oh, that my. is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, perfect. Isn't that crazy? Brett, wow. thanks for the phone call today. I sure, certainly appreciate it. <laughs> wow. Interesting. So, sorority girls, 
up there on sorority row open the windows even though it's freezing out right now <laughs> while we're talking here i i'm trying to google things i might be able to find about how many people you can put in a house in slow interestingly enough it's really easy to figure out in slow county how many birds you can have per tree poultry or otherwise cattle Fowl, goats, sheep, hogs, swine, horses. But not people. Can't find out the people thing yet. And, you know, of course, they talk about these. Oh, the, man, they're covering an awful lot of stuff in here. It might have been one of those urban legend things that I just that got passed down to me or something. <clears throat> five seems unreasonable. I mean, I'm a five-person household. and Well, it's unrelated. What I always... Oh, unrelated. Unrelated. So, like, if six, me and six of my closest friends wanted to rent a house together, that that wouldn't be acceptable. Right. But I... I well, I'll have to get to the bottom of that. That's yeah. a good question. I might even call the city this week. All Fascinating. Right. Um, I... Yeah, that well, is interesting. Who'd have guessed we could kill most of the second hour today by talking about brothels? That <laughs> well, <laughs> it's like something that I mean, little, this uh, is big, big uh, business in San Luis Obispo. You you threw out the number. It's it's roughly a thousand bucks a bedroom. That's the the median. Okay, right. there are units that are more expensive per bedroom that are nicer. There are some that are less expensive that maybe not so as nice. So suppose that I'm uh, an individual from in the county or not and i want to buy investment property because it's a i mean it's big it's big business big business <laughs> lots of revenue so let, let's just suggest i'm in the market you know i've i've got a couple hundred thousand dollars i'm going to put down i'm going to get some financing i'm going to buy a rental property somewhere um i might look to slow it's a strong rental market it, you know and as you look around the state and, and, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm willing to buy in another state, too, which is not uncommon now. People will own rental property distant from where they are and utilize property management and for the maintenance and care of it. And um, so it affords that opportunity. Uh, so let me ask you this, though. I mean, what if I if I'm looking at slow, say, I kind of want to I kind of want to buy that investment property. And then they say. Well, there's a rental inspection program where you'll keep it up to snuff for a fee. Um, depending on where you lie on the, you know, I mean, I'm going to ask some questions like, okay, well, what's the standard? You got to meet, you know, customary building codes and health and safety standards. It's like, okay, I can do that. Well, what's the fee? How often is the reinspection? Is there any guarantee that those fees are going to go up? I mean, a lot of. A lot of the understanding of the budget and cost of whether or not I want to make my investment here in town, I need to have some certainty about what these parameters are, what the fees are. Can they raise the fees? Was it left to be determined at a future date? Or I don't know. What? But in the in the complete document oh, that I was sent, it talks a fair amount about... It says they shall pay a registration and administration fee. Doesn't say what it is. Oh, throughout the document, it describes An inspection what the fee, but it doesn't say what it is. Who will pay and when and when the penalties? But never do you yeah. find out how much the fee is or the, 
the penalty for not paying the fee. And I imagine that's left majestically vague so that the ordinance doesn't need to be amended every time they need to raise the fee structure. Yeah, but there's got to be a fee schedule. Like you said, it's something that's going to factor into transfer of rental property. Um, You've got to know that to make an informed decision on that purchase. Absolutely. And and then this, so this kind of drives me back to one of the other things too. It's even probably an issue for for loan qualification. I mean, wouldn't we care to know what the costs of operating a rental are when qualifying? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we do an investment property appraisal, we do. We understand the operating income expenses of the property. I mean, that's a part of the standard analysis for whether or not we can approve the loan. You know, and then at the core of this, I I always come back to this place of when you live in a college town, like you said, sometimes the red cups are out. I like our, our first caller said that um, that the college kids celebrate too much. That's a <laughs> that's a great way to phrase that. Uh, I'm gonna say they party down, and they're pretty um, just insensitive to who's around them um <laughs> oftentimes making messes playing music shouting you get those like 21 year olds out in the middle of the night that are like you know the risk takers that are still smoking real cigarettes and drinking outside as they're like oh my god he's so cute and you're like i'm trying <laughs> to sleep over here by the way those I, very I think it's people winter graduation this week and i saw some a, a lot of very enthusiastic people downtown this morning on celebrating. Monday. Yeah, they were yeah. celebrating. <laughs> but those people, you guys, one of the reasons your house appreciated as much as it did is because those people are here paying premium rents when their families are buying the house that they live in. Um, you know, all these things, it's it's part of that. And so it's always hard when you want to get like, let's get the kids out and make a rule. You know, how about this? How about we just make a new government agency that forbids a Cal Poly or Cuesta student from being able to rent? Must buy or live on campus. And that's kind of crazy. So it's kind of a part of it. And, yeah, we, you got to live with it and, and address, deal with it the best that you can. Um, I, just, I just can't get past the fact that there's already been a longstanding policy in place for maintaining public safety with respect to housing, and that's code enforcement. So but, what's but wrong here's with your hang the up, code though. enforcement? Because as a code enforcement officer, I cannot go demand entry into your house. Right. You, you'd have to invite me in. But you can do external observations of homes. Yeah, but I can't tell if you, you know, have an open pit fireplace in the middle of the living room in the rental house that has no heater. I can't tell if you've done that. But you can't tell that with an owner-occupied dwelling either. And that, again, you know what, is dude? a public safety issue for everyone, regardless of the type of use of the property. Yeah, well, nobody's concerned about the owner occupant. We want to we want to try to figure out how to control these uncontrollable students that Wait, do we? I don't know. I I think I don't know. I mean, it's confusing. This thing's confusing. We're in, I'm going to go back. Hang on. The purpose and intent. 
It's, it's to provide safe housing and protect public safety. Safeguard the public and yeah. preserve the city's neighborhoods and housing stock. Right. We want to make sure the neighborhoods look nice. We want to make sure the homes are safe. Safeguard the public. Yeah, you're right. We seem to have breezed over the whole owner-occupant part, but who was going to agree to a citywide ordinance? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get all political again. It's easy to exact it out of a landlord. You don't deserve two houses anyway. Look at you. Look at you with your fancy <laughs> second and third houses getting rental income for these conditions. We, you should be paying fees for that. Um, that's easy. How do you, though, exact these fees from everybody that chooses to own real estate in San Luis Obispo? You're not going to get a lot of public support for that. So, yeah. Anyway. Tricky little thing, but hey, it's the rules now. This is the final draft. San Luis Obispo Municipal Code, Chapter 15.10. Rental Housing Inspection. I'll wait for the lawsuit. It'll I, be interesting to track this. I don't currently own any investment property, so I'm not going to be able to be a part of the class action suit when it settles. But you know, some <laughs> lawyers are going to get some big fees on this one. It's wild to me that this kind of stuff is like gets through. Anyway, hey, we're running out of time, yo. <laughs> we're almost out of time, yo. Wow, we just <laughs> yo. Okay, all right. I clearly can't be professional right now, so while you take us home, <laughs> oh boy. Hey, we <laughs> we really enjoy doing this show. We we hope that it just gives you a little um, insight to our character and to our um, professionalism, our business acumen. <laughs> we really take our business seriously. We provide mortgages to people who are interested in buying real estate or refinancing homes they own. Um, we we take into account what your financial goals are and we try to meet those goals. Give us a call next week, 543-LOAN, 543-5626, or look us up online, centralcoastlending.com. We'll be back next week for the final show of 2015. The announcement of the Fed rate hike. That's right. We'll see you next week on Mortgage Matters.